Our scripture reading for this morning comes from Luke chapter 1, verses 57 through 80. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but the mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, Blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea, and all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. This is God's word. You may be seated. All right. Well, um, we're looking this morning at this narrative, this story of the birth of John the Baptist. And it's the last story we're going to look at in this Advent season before we celebrate Christmas, the birth of Christ Jesus. Um, we're going to dig into this story of Elizabeth and Zechariah and the birth of John the Baptist. But before we do, let me pray for us and ask for God's help. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that we can gather and hear your word. Thank you for the story. And I pray, God, that you would Speak through this story to us this morning. Holy Spirit, come down. Come be with us. Come open our eyes and ears and hearts to receive what this word says, that we might see the the God who stands behind this word, that we might see Christ in all of his glory and all of his love, and that the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart would be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, the philosopher Blaise Pascal once said that all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room 
alone. He's saying basically all of our problems come down to our inability to be by ourselves, to be alone with our thoughts. And you would think that he was writing today, that that in our day of social media and smartphones, where we're constantly distracted, this makes a lot of sense. But he was actually writing 400 years ago. And as he looked around him at the, at the modern world that was starting to emerge, he observed something brand new in our culture. He observed boredom. Boredom didn't exist before the modern age. And it was this brand new thing that he was trying to describe. Another, another thinker, Peter Kreeft, explains what he said this way. He says, Pascal observed the new and sophisticated, jaded, modern person to be bored and fleeing boredom by a thousand diversions and by indifference to his eternal destiny. It's terrifying to face one's inner emptiness in silence and solitude. That's why we reserve as the supreme punishment for our most desperate criminals the very thing the ancient sages longed for as a gift solitude. Maximum security prisons and the worst possible punishment we can give to prisoners in our jails today is solitary confinement. And yet, what he's saying is that ancient people would have longed for solitude, for the chance to be alone with themselves and with God. We as modern people are uncomfortable being alone with ourselves. We hate the idea of being alone. We hate the idea of being undistracted. Whether it's our our phone buzzing or our fitness tracker telling us to stand up, whether it's a passing driver playing loud music, or whether it's the incessant noise of advertisements that follow us all the way to the little screen at the gas station while you're trying to pump your gas. We are never alone. We are never undistracted. We rarely experience quiet. We are almost never silent. And if we're honest, most of us probably like it that way. We hate being bored. Boredom is the inability to sit alone with yourself. And we become so used to the noise that we can't stand the silence. But in this story, the story that that Kai read for us, Zechariah is a priest who we saw a couple weeks ago, went into the temple to serve God one day and was met by an angel. And the angel told him that he was going to have a son, even though Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth were, were elderly. They were, they were old and past the years of childbirth. And so Zechariah, and he hears this, this word from the angel and says, are you sure? How am I supposed to know whether this is going to happen or not? And as a result of his unbelief, He's struck silent. He's unable to speak for the whole length of the pregnancy. So for nine months, Zechariah has been silent. He lived in an age without TV or news alerts or anything to distract him except the, the, his elderly wife, Elizabeth, and whatever chores he had in his ancient life. So ask yourself, what would you do if you couldn't speak for nine months. If the only conversation you could have happened in your own head, 
Would you go crazy? Would you become a shell of yourself? Would you do everything you could to surround yourself with activity in order to avoid that silence? Well, the silence in Zechariah's life wasn't wasted, and that's what we see today, that God worked powerfully in his life and in the lives of of other people around him through this silence that probably felt like forever. But through that silence, God showed his amazing grace to Zechariah. And that's the, the title of today's sermon, The Grace of Advent. The Grace of Advent. And the first thing that we see in this story is that God's grace breaks in. God's grace breaks in to the life of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Now, in the, in the first part of this story, you, you see Zechariah struck mute on the most important day of his career. And he was a priest in Israel, and he had this once-in-a-lifetime shot, the one time in his life where he was going to get to go into the temple and perform his priestly duties, because there was a lot of other priests and only one temple. And so the most important day of Zechariah's life is happening. He's at the pinnacle of his career the most important day of his priestly life. And he completely failed. Like, utterly, abysmally, awfully failed. Rather than bring God's God's people's prayers into the temple like he was supposed to do, and then come back out of the temple and lead everybody in the courtyard, gathered that day in prayer afterwards, he saw this angel when he went into the temple, disbelieved the angel's words, was struck silence, and then when he came back out to lead the people in prayer, he couldn't. Like he couldn't say anything. You know, he was struck silent. There's this huge crowd of worshipers waiting to be led in prayer. The most important moment of his priestly life was a total disaster. This whole congregation, hundreds, maybe even thousands of people, watched Zechariah come out waited for him to speak, anticipated prayer and worship, but instead, Zacharias stood there on the steps of the temple, publicly humiliated. Probably the scorn now of of hundreds, maybe thousands of people. And not just them, not just the people who were gathered there that day. You know, it was a relatively small uh, country, Israel, at the time. And so word of Zechariah's failure would have spread all across the country. All the Jews in Israel would have known Zechariah was a failed priest. I mean, don't priests only work like one day a week? Or or one day a year? Or one day in their whole lives? Not that I've ever heard that before. And you mean the one day, the most important day, the one day he was working, he choked? Word of Zechariah's shame would have spread all across his community. Zechariah, the failed priest, isn't he also the one with no kids? He's probably impotent, too. I mean, priests, these holy men, were supposed to be blessed by God. He looked not blessed, but cursed to everyone around him. Have you ever been there? Have you ever experienced 
some kind of humiliation in public or in the community that you're a part of? You ever been seen by others as a failure in, in a way like that? Maybe you choked during a presentation you were supposed to give. Maybe you got the numbers wrong on a, on a work project or, or just made a fool of yourself in general. Maybe you've experienced worse than that. Maybe you know your reputation is, is something like Zechariah's. People think you're weird, or off, different. People think that maybe you're just not worth their time, not worth the, 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 the cost of relationship. People think that, that you're unlovable, not the kind of person that they want to know. Imagine that that is your reputation and that you couldn't defend or redeem yourself. You couldn't do any, you couldn't say anything to, to help yourself out for nine months. You're struck silent and you could not explain yourself. You could not defend yourself. You just had to sit around in the shame of other people's scorn that whole time. What thoughts are going through your mind? What would you do with yourself during that time? Would you just sit in the silence, alone in your room? Maybe that would feel like torture to you. Maybe you'd feel hopeless. Maybe you would begin to believe that the whole universe, that God himself was against you in some way. And it wasn't just Zechariah either. Elizabeth probably felt the shame too. Elizabeth, as this elderly woman, was, was barren her whole life. She hadn't had any children. And in that time, in the ancient world, so much of a woman's worth, value, and reputation came from the, the number of children she was able to, to bear. And Elizabeth had none. She likely had long nights over the course of her life in which she felt abandoned, alone, and ashamed. She probably got sideways glances from her neighbors, married to the priest, but no children. What's wrong with her? How much, how much sin has she committed that God wouldn't bless her? But you know what? What's incredible about Zechariah and Elizabeth's story is that we don't remember them as outcasts. We don't remember Zechariah as a failure. We don't believe that Elizabeth was cursed by God. We don't think of Zechariah as, as a faithless or Elizabeth as barren. We remember them as faithful. We remember them as blessed. We remember them as carriers of hope and forerunners to the arrival of God's salvation for all people. We remember Zechariah and Elizabeth as uniquely blessed by God because of this story. Because of the miraculous birth of their son John, who would grow up to be a prophet. In this scene, the the neighbors are all gathered together to to circumcise John on the eighth day. And that was the day traditionally at this time when uh, the child would be named. And then people were gathered to, to circumcise baby John, just like uh, our church family would be gathered to, to witness the baptism of a small child. And in celebration of God's blessing to this elderly couple, 
Everybody in the, in the neighborhood wants to name the boy Zechariah. I mean, what better way? It's like a little, a little bit of redemption, and Zechariah gets to his, have his name continued on. This is great. They're probably thinking, you know, let, 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 the, let the failed priest have this. Poor Zechariah. I mean, he's such a, an outcast. The boy named after him should remind him of, of this small blessing in his old age. But Elizabeth, the only one of the couple that could speak, is adamant. No, he shall be called John, she says in verse 60. And all the neighbors are confused. John's kind of a random name. Not, not, not a family name. It's not a traditional name. Like, where, where is this name coming from? And so they ask Zechariah. And they, they give him a writing tablet, something he could write down on. And verses 63 and 64 are a testimony of the grace of God breaking in to Zechariah's life. He asked for a writing tablet, it says in verse 63, and wrote... His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately, his mouth was open and his tongue loose, and he spoke, blessing God. Zechariah's silence is finally broken upon his faith-filled obedience to God's word. Why was it important that the baby be called John in the first place? Because The angel had told him that he would name the child John, but it wasn't only that. It was the meaning of the name. You see, John means the Lord is gracious. And so baby John that day is a physical, personal manifestation of God's grace breaking into the world. And God's grace was breaking into the world through this pariah of a couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Baby John is God's grace breaking into their lives. God's grace is love that that we don't deserve. There was nothing natural or, or normal about this elderly couple having a baby, but God blessed them in an unexpected and gracious way. But God wasn't only blessing Zechariah and Elizabeth in that moment with his grace. Through them, he was blessing the whole world. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to break into our lives by grace. God's grace is a love that we could not earn or deserve, but it's love that God freely gives just just because of how loving and how good he is. So I want to ask you, what, what will you do with God's grace for you today? I believe that you are here because the sovereign God who rules over everything in the entire universe has brought you here this morning. God has brought you here today to speak his incredible love over your life. What will you do with his love? You could reject it. You could just assume it. Oh yeah, of course God loves me. Shrug like it's no big deal. But that's the wrong response. God's grace is not shrug worthy. God's grace is life altering, history changing, heaven shaking. And this incredible, unearned, divine gift of love is sitting right here for you to take, for you to take hold of. 
All you have to do is reach out and receive it. Will you? Will you embrace God's love for you today? Will you let God's grace break into your life through Christ Jesus? I pray that you will. I pray that you will. But be careful. Because if God's grace breaks into your life, you can't stay the same. The love of God is the most powerful force in the entire universe. And when God's grace breaks in, His grace transforms us. That's the second point this morning. God's grace transforms us. See, the story opens with the the silence of Zechariah. But it's easy to forget. It's easy to forget that he wasn't the only person in the story who had been silent up till this time. I don't know if you realize this, but God had been silent up until now. God hadn't spoken to his people, Israel, for 400 years. It had been four centuries since God had spoken to his people. Can you believe that? Throughout all of Israel's history, God had been actively speaking to his people, giving his people his law through Moses, his word through the prophets, calling them to repentance, telling them his love for them. God had always been close to his people. God had always been speaking to his people. Until the prophet Malachi, the last prophet in the Old Testament. And Malachi's message was simply that God was going to send someone else. That one day God was going to come himself, and before God himself came, he was going to send another prophet to tell about God's goodness, about his love. God was coming, but he hadn't come yet. The last verses of the Old Testament in Malachi chapter 4, say this. It says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he, that prophet, will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest, unless, I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. And then God didn't say anything for 400 years. God said, I'm coming. I'm going to send a prophet. He's going to turn your hearts back to me. Because if he doesn't, then you're all going down. But God didn't send that prophet right away. It didn't come in a week or a month or a year or a century. Like Zechariah, Israel had had to sit alone with their thoughts for a long time before they heard from God again. Prophecy had all but stopped for God's people. And then God sent John, this little baby. John wasn't just the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth, a nice story at the end of their lives. No, John would grow up to be a prophet like Elijah, John the Baptist, who we still talk about today. He he would come before this day of the Lord, the day when God would come to be with his people. He would be this prophet who would turn God's, God's people's hearts back to him. God was going to use John to bring Israel home. And Zechariah knows that this is what's happening. 
but he hasn't been able to tell anybody for nine months. He's just been thinking about it, thinking about his son, thinking about this future prophet who his son would become. And when Zechariah finally does get the chance to speak, when he finally does have his mouth opened, what does he say? He could have been bitter, right? Oh my gosh, I can't believe God made me silent for nine months. Can you believe this? Doesn't that suck? Imagine that in the Bible, right? No, that's not his response. He's he's not bitter. He's not like lamenting how, how hard he's had it. His response to God's grace breaking into his life is worship. He uses his newfound voice to sing the praises of God and tell everyone who will hear him how good God is. As God had poured out his grace on Zechariah, and Zechariah received that grace by faith. Verse 67 says that God sent his Holy Spirit to fill up Zechariah. And as a result of the Holy Spirit coming upon him, Zechariah spoke the first prophecy in Israel in 400 years. Zechariah represented the breaking not only of his own silence, but of God's silence to his people. And when Zechariah breaks his silence, God uses him to break his own silence. God's grace transformed Zechariah from a failed priest to a divine prophet. Listen again to what he says in verses 68 to 79. I'm going to read them aloud for us. Zechariah, the the silent priest, says in his first words, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hands of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him, all our days. And then he looks at John. And you, child, you will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. You see, God didn't let Zechariah and Elizabeth's story, He didn't let their story end in failure or judgment or shame. God's grace broke into their lives and God's grace transformed them. We don't remember Zechariah and Elizabeth as failures or cowards or a barren, abandoned couple. We remember them as faithful. We remember them as hope-filled. We remember them as blessed by their unique role in the history of God's salvation for his people. 
We don't remember their shame. We remember the gift of God's love transforming them and then using them and their son John to make way for Jesus Christ, the manifestation of the grace of God for all people. We don't remember their suffering or their pain. We remember their redemption. So what about you? Where are you today? Where's your identity? What do you root yourself in? What are the things in your life that name you? Is it your circumstances? Is it your family? Is it your career? Is it how much money you do or don't have? Is it your suffering? Is it abuse or loneliness or loss? When others look at you, when others see you, do they see someone who's cursed, someone who's a failure, like they did when they saw Zechariah and Elizabeth? If that's you, then the message of Advent is for you this morning. God's grace is for you. No matter who you are or where you come from, God sees you. God sees you and God knows you. And no matter how much failure you might have experienced, no matter how much you might feel full of yourself, God loves you. God proved his love in the most unexpected way possible for Zechariah and Elizabeth. And 2,000 years later, we're still talking about them as a monument of the grace of God and his ability to love us in the unexpected, to turn our suffering into triumph, to turn our pain into glory. God wants to do the same for you. This isn't just about Zechariah and Elizabeth. It's about us as well. God has come to you in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And he wants to pour out his love upon you. He wants to show you how much he loves you. He wants to make you and your life into a monument of his grace. Will you let him? Will you receive his grace? Will you let his grace transform you from the inside out? Will you let him show the tender mercy that he promised through Zechariah at the end of his prophecy? Will you let his grace change everything in your life? Do you want God's grace to change you this week? I just want to practically encourage you to take some time this week leading up to Christmas to practice silence. It doesn't have to be long, even just five minutes. You might be scared even just thinking about the idea of sitting silently in a room all by yourself. But part of being shaped by the grace of God is, is taking the time to receive it, taking the time to reflect on it and to listen to it. I want to encourage you this week to take the time to just Bask in the glow of the love of God for you. Take the time to 
remember what Christmas is about, that Christmas represents the greatest act of love that God could have given, that God gave his own son for us. And we would miss the point of Christmas entirely if we failed to think about and reflect on what it means for God to sacrifice for our sake, to love us in that incredible, gracious way. I want to encourage you this week to to empty yourself of yourself and just enjoy, simply enjoy God's gracious presence with you. At Christmas time, we, we remember the prophecies about Emmanuel. We call Jesus Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. And I just want you to take the time to be amazed at that truth, that Jesus is God with us. Remember his love for you. Remember his grace to you. And let his grace change everything. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning and we ask for your grace to come down to us.